Turn in your Bibles, if you would with me please, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Melissa read for us um, Psalm 23 in our scripture reading. In that familiar psalm that we all love, Shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. What a picture of peace, of rest, of contentment as we visualize that in our minds, lying down in green pastures. A man named Philip Keller wrote a small book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And Keller, who himself was a shepherd, gives four reasons it can be difficult to get sheep to lie down. Four reasons, he says. He says number one is fear. Uh, maybe there's howling in the background or thunderstorm starting to brew. Fear of something. Number two could be tension. Could be uh, it's picking on somebody else and there, there's tension in the flock for some reason. A third, uh, a third reason could be aggravation. Could be they're out in the field and there's flies and mosquitoes and gnats in their eyes and ears and nose. They're just aggravated. And then he said a fourth, a fourth reason it's difficult to get sheep to lie down and rest is hunger. And we, we can relate to that probably. Four reasons, fear, tension, aggravation, and hunger. And he says, if a sheep is facing any one or more of these distractions, he is observed that it's difficult to get him to rest. And the important thing, as he points out, is that the only, it's only the shepherd who can uh, alleviate these distractions. The sheep is totally dependent on the shepherd to provide for it in a way to allow it to rest. In John 10 here, we want to look at a shepherd. And this shepherd is Jesus himself. And uh, he describes himself in a way that I think will be very encouraging for us tonight. So I want you to follow with me as we see what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 10. Started in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and, sc uh, and scatters. And he flees and the wolf uh, snatches them and scatters them. A hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd a couple of times in this passage. 
You know, we use this adjective good often in our conversation, don't we? We use it to show respect, appreciation, or admiration. He's a good coach. My mom is a good cook. My dad is a good eater. Uh, he, here in this passage, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. But in stating this, Jesus is not just informing us that he knows how to take care of the flock of sheep, but he is referring to the love and care of his very own people that he has redeemed. Jesus is not just a good shepherd among many, but he is the supreme good shepherd who is the standard by which no others can compare. You know, in the last few years, there's been a debate among sports enthusiasts as to who is the GOAT. Have you heard of that? GOAT stands for? Greatest of all time, yes. So names like Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady have been mentioned, and I'm sure if we opened it up, there would be other opinions even here among us tonight. You know, we don't have any record of Jesus ever playing any sports, but as we broaden this concept of greatness, I can tell you confidently, and I think most of you would agree, that Jesus is a supreme goat. In regarding to goodness or greatness, Jesus is a trump card, and there's not even a close second. And his greatness has nothing to do with athletics or a multi-million dollar contract. God is the definition and of source of all, puts it this way in James 1.17, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. He is the final standard of all good, and all that he does is worthy of his approval. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 106, verse 1. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This passage in John 10, Jesus describes his goodness and his steadfast love to us in a very personal way when he says in verse 14, he says, again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Not only does he remind us that he knows us intimately for us, and he is with us to guide us and help us through his gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. He comforts us in a couple chapters later in John 14 when he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He knows what we're going through. He knows our fears. He knows our tensions. He knows our aggravations. He knows the hunger pains that we have. But he is the good shepherd who is with us and leads us. Jesus also mentions others in this passage in verse 16. And he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I voice, 
So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There are some of you here today who are not in the fold of the good shepherd. You have not listened to his voice, and if you sought life to live on your own. Psalm 34, 8 speaks directly to you when it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So here's what I'd like to do. This is Good Friday, and I would like to read Luke's account of the good shepherd laying his life down for his sheep. And if you're here this evening as a believer, I would like to ask you to reflect on the depth and the meaning of the Good Shepherd's love for you and giving his life. But if you're here, I would ask you to listen and contemplate its meaning and purpose for you as one outside of his fold. So I want to start reading in Luke 22, read sections of Luke 22 and 23, and then I would like to close at the end with a couple points of application. So Luke 22, starting in verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred, conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him. Skip over to verse 39. And he came out, this was after the Passover meal, and Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to them, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. Now skip down uh, to verse 63. 
Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation in saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Now go on down to verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who has been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cry. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things, when the two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, but the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So what does the death of the good shepherd have to do with us here this evening? Earlier, as we started, I mentioned to you some of the hindrances that hinder our rest as sheep, as his followers. And so if you're here this evening as a follower of Christ, as one in his fold, as a believer, I want to ask you to think and contemplate this evening. What, what are the fears in your life that you allow to rob you of the joy of being his flock, of being in his fold? What are the tensions that you need to release and entrust to the shepherd's control? To distract you from believing and trusting in his presence and his promises for you. What are the things that weigh you down? And lastly, what are the hunger pains that reveal the misplaced desires of your affections that cloud your satisfaction in him? What are the broken cisterns that you run to instead of the life-giving refreshment of the Good Shepherd? One good way to examine your heart in this is to say, to ask yourself, if I just had fill in the blank, is a good indication that that may be an idol in our life. If I just had blank, I would be happy. If you're here this evening and you don't know the Good Shepherd, if you ever, he has a call for you, a very personal, a very tender call. This is in Matthew 11, starting in 28. He says, come to me, all you who labor are, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A rest that can only be provided by a loving, strong, 
good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. He's calling you to find that rest in him by confessing your sins, by your inability to find that rest in yourself, in the things you've been, uh, you've been pursuing, and to enter his fold. I'd be glad to talk to you about that. If you have questions, we'd like to talk more. So I'd like to, to all bow our heads and just take a few minutes to reflect. How does the death of the Good Shepherd, how, do, uh, how does it speak to my heart tonight in being able to give to him the fears, the tensions, the uh, aggravations, and the things that you hunger for instead of him? Talk to him about that. If you're here and you have not yet trusted Christ, take this time to humble yourself before him and cry out to him to show mercy to you by faith and, and asking that he would save you even now. Take a minute, couple minutes and reflect and then I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the Good Shepherd who is willing to lay his life down for undeserving people like us. All eternity and pondering it that you would make a way for undeserving sinners like us to be in fellowship with you. Father, I pray that that would well up in our hearts uh, a joy and an appreciation and a lifestyle of worship and gratitude. That there's nothing that we have done that can add to that or take that away what Christ has done. That that would spur into us a desire to live for you in a way that shows that appreciation, that reflects that we want your glory to be revealed through us and to the world. May that give us a heart of compassion for the lost, that we would uh, fear the things of this world, and Lord, share that hope that you have made clear to us. Father, in a, in a gathering this size, we know that though there are those who have not yet trusted you. And Father, we pray that this would be the day that you would remove the scales from their eyes. They would see the fruitless pursuit of the things they've been running after that do not satisfy, that have only led to heartache and misery. and It's not what they were created for. I pray that they would see the peace and the rest in the fold of the Good Shepherd. And that today, by faith, by your mercy, as they cry out to you that
they will come to know that rest. Father, thank you. Thank you for, may we never tire of worshiping him and giving him the glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.